0: morning we are in John 6 today and we because we were in John four years ago there's some the miracles that we talked about four years ago we're kind of going to the teaching part more this year although that will be it'll be a little different next week there will be a story of Jesus uh, interacting with a woman who's being accused of some awful things. Um, But today, I want to remind you a couple of things about the gospel according to John. One, John is not as concerned about chronology, about when things happen and in what order, as, uh, as others are. But everything that John does, it's the case with all of the gospel writers, but they all have an intent. And John's intent is to remind the people of Israel of their story and how Jesus either interacts with their story, their history, or um, kind of repeats it in a way. So what we're going to see today, and we're not going to read these two parts, but I'll remind you of something that happened that's a big deal to the Israelites. They had been uh, slaves. How long they were actually slaves in Egypt, we don't know. We know that that they were brought there, they were treated well because... um, the second in command uh, for Pharaoh uh, had, you know, Joseph, had, he, had, he, had, he had saved the known world because he had planned ahead because God had given him an advance notice of the, of the famine that was coming, but, but for 400 years, they were in Egypt. For at least 200 of those, after the Pharaohs passed away and they forgot what God had done through the Israelites, um, they were treated very poorly. And then they started crying out to God, and God heard their prayers, was concerned for his people, and sent Moses to rescue them. We know this story. Um, and he, When he rescued them, there was a bunch of stuff that happened when Moses was interacting with Pharaoh, what's known as the 10 plagues, and, and we see God doing miraculous things, but that was mostly to Pharaoh and his people to let them know you don't mess with God. But the people of God, who didn't really know God well anymore, um, their first really interaction was when they were told they can leave. Now they have the Passover when the angel of death is coming. That was the final thing that, that let Pharaoh know it's time to let these people go. Um, And he let them go. They took a bunch of stuff. They had gold. They had animals. They had all their people. There are a couple million people. And then they come to the Red Sea and Pharaoh changed his mind. We know the story again that he, and he wanted to keep them. And they were backed up against the Red Sea and God did a miracle, a water miracle. Right there's a land bridge that so most of the the Dead Sea uh, or excuse me the Red Sea in that spot it's about five thousand feet deep. Now there's one spot where we're pretty sure that they that they crossed where it's only nine hundred feet deep. And so God led them to that spot. There's a wadi that comes in, led them into that spot. He spread the waters. There's nine hundred foot. Uh, uh, towers of water on either, either side, and the people walk through the water, or walk through as if on dry land, and then when the Egyptian army came in, God allowed the water to go back to normal. Now they have found chariot wheels, they have found um, spears, they have found shields, and they have found uh, human remains at the bottom of the Red Sea on that what's called a land bridge. Now that's a water miracle and that's phenomenal. I mean it's unthinkable. It's it's miraculous. But then when they get into the desert and they God had not they had not become a people yet. They still kind of wanted to be what they what they were comfortable with, the the Egyptian gods, the 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 pagan worship. And so while they were While Moses was going up to the mountain, when God was giving the law of God to his people, the thing that was going to help them, establishing a covenant with his people, so that they would become a people, not just slaves, not just afterthoughts, but a people um, they decided to rebel, and they made a cow, and we, again, we know the story. But as they go through, as they spend 40 years in the desert, last year we heard that they spent 38 years in the Kadesh region, Kadesh region, region of, of, the, of the Negev, and there was another miracle that took place time and time again. There were two water miracles where they didn't have any water, and God either had Moses... He, speak to or strike a rock and water came out. But what they saw day to day for 40 years was a food miracle, manna and quail. But if you remember, they got tired of manna and quail. And they said things like, well, let's, we want to go back to Egypt. At least we had leeks, which I don't even really know what a leak is. I think it's an oniony kind of thing. Um, they wanted to go back because it was comfortable. It was predictable. Not that manna and quail weren't predictable. They show up every morning. And they mumbled, they grumbled. Um, Moses called them the rabble. Now, why tell you all this when we get, before we get to John 6? Because John 6 is a reminder. Again, he's not worried about chronology, but at the beginning of John 6, there's a food miracle. They have 5,000 people, 5,000 men, and then all their wives and children. And they're, they don't have any food, and it's going to take eight months' wages to even give them a bite. And Jesus, knowing what he's going to do, asks Well, what do we have? And some little boy who brought a sack lunch had some, couple of pieces of fish and some little barley rolls, which means that he was poor. And Jesus blessed God for it and fed everyone and took up extra food when it was over. And then he sends the disciples across the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberius, and he didn't he didn't go with them in the middle of the night he walks out onto the water. So you have a food miracle. You have a water miracle. So the readers of the gospel of John are going, huh, what's he trying to say? And then Jesus, when people the next morning, they wake up and they can't find him, they're like, well, we know his disciples left, but he didn't go with them. Where'd, they, where'd he go when they find him on the other side. You know, like, how, how'd you get here? So there's, there's speculation, there's thoughts, there's things going on. And then Jesus, this is the point in John, it's kind of a watershed point in John, where there are people that really like to be around Jesus because he does cool stuff. Now, some of us are kind of like this when we're in prayer meetings or we're praying for someone to be healed and, and, and uh, we, we kind of want the Holy Spirit shiver, shivers, you know, when you're like, oh, God just did something cool. And that's not a bad thing to desire, but that can't be all we desire. So Jesus calls them out. And so there's a guy that wrote a book back in 2009 called Friend, Fan, or Follower. And we see right here, we won't read all the way through that part, but we see right here where Jesus is making his purpose known to such an extent that many go, I'm out. He does something miraculous by feeding 5,000 men. He does something miraculous by walking on water. But the people, just like the people in the desert, start to grumble. So let's pray. We'll read through this. I want to tell you, this is not Jesus picking a fight, but he is telling them and thereby telling us that if you really want eternal life, there's only one way to get it. And it means that you have to take everything that Jesus is everything that Jesus taught and everything that 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 he was about and make it part of you there's no i'm going to i'm going to taste it a little bit i'm going to have a little bit of it i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to be a well-rounded i'm going to have a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of this and a little bit of this he clears all that up right here in John chapter 6 let's pray to God Lord we bless you thank you we praise you for your word both spoken And written, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us so that we don't have to guess what kind of a God we serve. Lord, as we read these words and these interactions that you, the word of God made flesh, had with people, we ask that you speak to us as well, that you tell us what you want us to hear, you show us what you want us to see, and you give us what you want us to have. And Lord, as the one communicating this morning, I ask that you stand in my shoes, that you give me your thoughts, and you speak with my mouth, so that this is your message for us, not my message for them. We pray this in the name of Jesus, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. So he just, over the night, he had walked out, walked out on the water, and then when they found him on the other side, so they're in Capernaum now, and we're Based on what's said here, we're pretty sure, I know Jesus was born in, in Bethlehem. His hometown was Nazareth, but it looks like maybe Joseph worked as a, as a home builder, as a mason, as a tecton, is what the word is, um, uh, as a craftsman, probably in Capernaum. and We know that from how, what some people say about him. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for that that endures to eternal life, which the Son of God, Son of Man, will give you. On Him, God the Father has placed the seal of approval. What must we do to do the works God requires? Now, first of all, I just want to clear up. They asked him, when did you get here?" And he goes into well, I know why you're here. He doesn't answer their question. He sees this as an opportunity to teach, and he knows what he's doing. He's going to start to cull the herd, so to speak. Those who, who like the little Jesus bits, those who like to see cool things, those who want Holy Spirit shivers, those, those who, who, who want the benefits of Jesus without the cost of following him. They asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. I love how he starts, but he's basically saying, Listen. Listen to what I have to say, because I'm telling you the things that you need to hear, not the things that you want to hear. I'm going to tell you the truth. It's not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, from now on, give us this bread. Now, if you recall, if you've been reading, I know you're reading in Matthew right now, but when you get to John, in John chapter four, Jesus interacts with a, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and there she wants a drink. Jesus asks her for a drink of water and, and, and they have this conversation and he goes, I, I, the son of man will give you water that is living and you'll never go thirsty again. She goes, give me that kind of water so that I don't ever have to come to the well again. So he's claiming to be the water of life. And now he's claiming to be the bread of life. From now on, give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. All that the Father gives me, meaning people, all that the Father gives me, will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Now, there are some allusions here to the to the serpent on the stick that everyone had to look to because of the plague that was killing them, that if they looked, they would all be healed. When he's talking about, I will raise them up when they hear about things being raised up. And he says that that you have to look to the sun. There's some allusion there, not specific, but there's some allusion to, to that miracle. Again, he's, he, he, all the things that the, Jewish, that the Jewish people hang on to, that, that whole time of God providing for them in the desert before they came into the promised land is a is core to their thinking of who they are and whose they are. And John and Jesus himself are are pulling together like all those things you hang on to are being fulfilled, not in the moment, but in the person of Jesus. Notice in verse 33, it says that the bread is a person. The bread is the one who comes down from heaven. He's changing the whole idea that God provides the things that meet our corporeal needs, our bodily needs, to to God is the one who meets our soul needs. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread who came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, "I came down from heaven"? Stop grumbling among yourselves. Very similar to what Moses said to the people. Jesus answered, "No one can come to me unless the Father, who sent me, draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets: They will be taught. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God." Only he has seen the Father. And I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your, father, your forefathers ate manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am, the, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now I'm going to pause there just for a second cuz it gets really really I'm going to say weird what Jesus starts to say if you translate the Greek here it says things like if you don't gnaw on my flesh and slurp down my blood They don't want to see it. They don't want to gear it, hear it. They don't they don't want to get it and they don't want to hear it. They don't want what Jesus is offering. They want the easy way. Not the real way. And if we're honest with ourselves in our lives, we usually want that. Have you ever heard anyone say, I just want to be happy? Have you ever said it yourself? As if happiness is that easy to get. Like, that's all I'm asking. I just want to be happy. If you were in an utter state of euphoria all the time, I don't think life would actually be worth living. Because you wouldn't know the difference between joy or happiness happiness. And there'd be nothing to compare it to. So no, because we're human beings, no matter how good we have it, we find something to complain about. So we want Jesus to make our lives easy. We want, they did, they wanted Jesus to give them Jesus bits, to do cool things, and to provide for their corporeal needs, but they didn't want the cost. And he's saying to them, if you want soul food, if you want to live forever, if you really want to know God and be known by God, truly, you have to ingest Jesus. And when he starts talking about his blood here, this is in a way, some people will argue that this is the Last Supper speech that Jesus gave in the other three Gospels. And it is, but it's more. There's something here that, that Jesus is saying when when we the one of the reasons that the people of God could not eat blood. <laughs> they had to drain all the blood from any animal that they ate, clean or unclean, if they were going to eat it, they had to drain the blood, is because blood was life. So Jesus is telling them, you need me, only me, and all of me for your salvation. And because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we start off in this life already dead. The wages, what we earn from our sin is death. We start off dead. We start off separated from God. As good reformers, we know this. It's called total depravity. There is nothing that we can do that can be good in the sight of God because everything is tainted, poisoned, and perverted by the, the, the fallen nature that we have. And Jesus is saying, you have to replace what you think is life with me. That's what he's going to say here in a moment. He says, you, you have to gnaw on me. You have to make what I, what I am life. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. No one comes to the Father except through me, and you have to receive all of that. You have to, you have to get rid of self and take me in. That's a big deal. He's saying tough things, and you'll see what some of the disciples say afterwards. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? It doesn't make sense to them, just like it doesn't make sense to us. And we understand now why the critics of the early church thought Christians were cannibals, because they celebrated the Lord's Supper. It was called a feast of love, but they're talking about eating flesh and drinking blood of someone who had, who had gone back to the Father. And here's where it gets weird. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him." Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching at the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, and we could go further with this, but we won't. On hearing it, many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who, who can accept this? Now, I'm not telling anyone in this room anything they don't already know. But I'm going to tell you this. Those people thought they knew it too. Those that believed that Jesus was the Messiah had him figured out. He's going to be here. He's going to do some really cool things. He's going to prove to to all of us that he is who he claims to be. Even though he's claiming to be bread, he's claiming to be um, uh, he, he's claiming to be water in another place. He claims to be a door. He claims to be a gate. And just like Jesus didn't actually have hinges made of wood with a door handle, I am the door. He's not. He's not telling us to be cannibals. He's not. But he is telling us something that that they didn't like and we don't really want. The only way to the Father is through Jesus. Anything less than that is what Paul would refer to as a doctrine of demons. He wants all of it. And we get a little... Uh, really, all of it? Yep. Jesus, I want your money. I want your time. I want your relationships. I want your religion. I want your home. I want your family. I want your retirement. I want it all. I want it all. Give it to me. Remember the, 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 the rich young man? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Keep the commandments. Done it. One thing you lack, sell everything you have, give to the poor, follow me. The man walked away and Jesus let him go. Why? He wanted Jesus to meet his need and to affirm what he was doing. He didn't want to become the person God wanted him to be. Here's the beauty of how God interacts with us, though, when he asks for everything. When we have to die to ourselves, we have to take up our cross daily and follow after him. He wants wants full devotion. He wants followers, not fans, not buddies. He wants people who say, I'm all in. The beauty of that, though, is that he takes your money, he takes your family, he takes your relationships, he takes your notoriety, he takes your job, he takes your home, he takes your money, he takes your retirement, he takes it all. And he hands it back, and he says, just remember who it belongs to, and treat it as if it's mine. This is a hard saying. It is hard to accept. But as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if I just talk about the miracle of the food or the miracle of the water, but don't go to where Jesus went, I would be sinning against you. So a call to repentance today. If you are not all in, if you're not ingesting Christ, saying that I I am not my own. I belong body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ. If that is not the confession of your mind, your heart, your soul, and your body, then woe to you. He says it right here. I am the very thing that makes you whole. I am food, I am life, and you have to take me in, all of it. And he gets to the point where he's like, I'm not kidding. You got to slurp down my blood and gnaw on my flesh. Now, he's not, he's not talking about cannibalism, but he is saying how serious God is about this. If Jesus is the only one who's ever seen the Father, and he does come to earth to tell us about the Father. And He only speaks what the Father wants Him to say. And He is indeed God in flesh. And He tells us anything but everything is nothing. Jesus plus anything, nothing. Jesus minus anything, nothing. It's His heart. Do you know Jesus? See, just a couple of chapters from here, Jesus tells us something about everlasting life. In John 17, 3, he says, and this, he's talking to God the Father, and he says, and, and this is everlasting life, that they, us, know you, the one true God. Here's the thing about that word know, and it gets a little weird in the Greek, just like the eating my flesh and slurping my blood does, but, but the word for know that they know you there, is the same word used to describe a husband knowing his wife. It is intimacy. It is all in. It is fully connected. It is being made one with another. And when Jesus prays that you and I are one as he and the Father are one, he's saying, Father, I want to be so connected with them that my life is their life. He was saying those things to these people, and most of them went, I'm out. Not what I signed up for. Too much ask, not enough give. I don't know how everlasting life and salvation and redemption and forgiveness of sins is not enough give. But we know the end of the story. They didn't. So this is a tough saying, it's hard to accept but I pray to God that you accept it wholly. I'm not accusing one person here of not having a heart that's fully devoted to Christ. But he's asking you, if you're willing, to make him part of you, to really let him own you. He'll give it all back, but he'll remind you of who it belongs to. See, we are to be stewards of our lives, reflecting the goodness of God. And when we're not, we are reflecting to the world a God that really isn't the God of Scripture. Because He's not Santa Claus. We don't don't practice witchcraft where we get to, if we behave a certain way and we do the right kind of prayers, that God has to give us something. God has given us everything. He gave us himself. The bread is not manna from heaven. It's not quail that shows up. It's actually him. The bread of life is the one who came down from heaven. Will you in a spiritual sense, ingest him? Will you let his life be yours? Will you not only be washed with and by the blood of Christ, but will you let the blood of Christ run through your veins and arteries? Will we be a people who are virtually indistinguishable from the will of God? Because what is the will of God? What are the works of God? To believe in him who God sent. Do we? Truly? I hope so. I know that last night when I was sitting in my chair trying to figure out if I was going to be able to sleep before I went up to bed, I'm like, I got to preach this. And I, is it, Lord, is it true of me? Are you really my bread? Are you really my life? And the scary, scary it's how it works for me. I didn't get an answer. But I kind of know what the answer is. I'm not sure that I'm completely convinced that every moment of every day should be Jesus living through me. A lot of times I just want him to make my life a little easier. I want him to fix some of the relationships that are difficult And I want him to give me the time that I want instead of bring situations up that I have to respond to. Sometimes I just want him to treat me like I'm God instead of me bending my knee, bending my will, bending my time, bending my resources, all that to him. And my guess is, and it's just a guess, that some of you are in a similar spot. If that's the case, there's a fix. Confess. Repent, seek forgiveness, and ingest Jesus. Make him the only thing that matters. Because then he will give you eyes to see how everything else matters. But you'll look at people, you'll look at things the way he does. That is what it means to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Let's pray. Lord, Tomorrow we're gonna grieve with the Overway family and we're gonna celebrate a saint who's gone home to you. We're gonna be reminded of what you've done for us. But Lord, I pray that it's not only when one of us passes that we're reminded of what you've done for us. I wanna thank you for even how hard you said it in John 6 because I don't know if I would really hear it if you didn't keep pushing it one step further. Lord, help me and us feed on the bread of life because that is salvation. We pray this in the name of Jesus through the power of your spirit for the glory of God our Father. Amen.